Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Here is a message from our lead pastor, Kurt Jenkins. We pray this message speaks to you. As I was praying and just finalizing my sermon last night, I believe that the Lord says that the day is coming when the Lord will sweep through this church and school with such joy that people who are far from God will come close to you as an individual, not just this building, but close to you as an individual because you're carrying something that they are desperate for. I believe he's saying that at those moments, you will have the opportunity to use your joy as a sign and a wonder to point these people to the Jesus in whom you serve who gave you this joy. And that because of that, when people ask why you have it, you have a clear answer for your smile, you have a clear answer for your joy, you have a clear answer of why you're laughing and the hope that is within you. I believe that the Lord's saying, why wait? Why not now? What are we waiting for? Why not receive the joy of the Lord and walk out of here with a big fat smile on your face? Why wait? I believe the Lord's saying it's not really his timing for when he wants to break out. He's ready. Sometimes we say, well, it's all in his timing. Oh, maybe you have to receive it from him. Maybe you have to step out like Kate was saying in the school. Maybe you have to say, you know what? I feel tired today and I feel frustrated and I have all these bills due, but I choose joy and believe his timing is now to begin to flood over you with the joy of the Lord. And then we can steward that tomorrow morning and the morning after and the morning after where you can wake up and choose joy. Amen? Amen. We're going to look at three words today that are all rooted in joy. We're going to look at strength, we're going to look at laughter, and we're going to look at hope. All three of those are rooted in joy. And I'm just going to take a few minutes on each of these. The first one is found in Nehemiah chapter 8. You can turn there if you want to. Uh, I believe the, the verses will be on the screen as well. If you're looking it up, I'm actually reading from the NIV. But Nehemiah is almost halfway through the Old Testament. So if you find where Matthew is, Look where your Bible is in the Old Testament and then turn halfway through. You'll be close to Nehemiah or just look in the table of contents. I'm going to read just, uh, I think, three or four verses out of Nehemiah chapter 8. But if you read earlier in Nehemiah and just about, I think like close to two years ago, we did an entire series on Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the wall and what that looked like. But if you read earlier chapters of Nehemiah, you'll learn that they spent, the, the Israelites, the people of God, the family of God, they spent 70 years in captivity. Now, the wall around Jerusalem, you'll read through the book of Nehemiah, the wall around Jerusalem was rebuilt, and about 50,000 of the Israelites were resettling back in the rightful land that God had given them. So not all of them were back yet, but there was a great pilgrimage back after they were released from captivity. The wall was put in place. Now, this wall was both literal protection and it also gave them peace of mind. It gave them you know, protection from safety uh, in the natural so the enemies could not come in. It also gave them confidence to stand up against their enemy. They weren't going to back down anymore. They weren't going to be defeated. They knew that the Lord was going to protect them. But in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1, I'm going to read, it's like the last sentence of chapter 7, and we'll go into 8. It says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, this is inside the walls by, in Jerusalem, it said, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. 
They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Remember, this had not been read for quite some time. It was not being followed. The people were not following the ways of the Lord. But it said that they told Ezra to come out uh, with this book of the law, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So you'll see in the following verses, I won't read them for the sake of time, Ezra begins to read this book of the law of Moses. So the people would begin to follow the ways of the Lord. The wall was constructed. They can live in safety and confidence in this joy. And, uh, and they began to read it. So this public reading was occurring, at least in this instance, uh, until noon. And then the Levites were alongside of him, assisting him and instructing the people in smaller groups on how to follow the ways of the Lord. You'll see in one of the verses, it says that the people responded by bowing down and worshiping the Lord. And then in verse 9, it says, Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, this day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Now, obviously, there's a deep sense of regret over national sins that these people had taken place. So they're weeping because of this. You know, they're repenting because of it. They're showing their mourning in this. But uh, Nehemiah and Ezra and the, the Levites are saying, listen, there is a time for mourning. There is a time for weeping, but now's not the time. It's a time for rejoicing and celebration because the word of the Lord was being proclaimed once again. And a lot of times we'll think of that word repentance as coming down to an altar and crying your eyes out. Repentance does uh, entail and include true sorrow for sin, but the result of repentance should be joy. It shouldn't be just putting the sackcloth on like they did in the Old Testament. The result of true repentance is realizing what path you you were walking in, being sorrowful for that, turning around and away from it, changing the way you think and walking toward the ways of the Lord. So as soon as your mind starts to change and you turn around, there doesn't have to be sorrow anymore. There doesn't have to be weeping anymore. There should be joy that's filling their hearts. So that's what Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites were trying to get through to the people. And in verse 10, he says, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks and send some of those uh, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. The day is, this day is sacred to our God or to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want you to think about that today. Do you need strength back in your spiritual life? Maybe some of you need strength in your physical life, get more sleep. If you need more strength in your spiritual life, if you need to stand back up for where the Lord should have you in life, that comes with the joy of the Lord. Now look what they're instructing them to do. He's saying, Nehemiah's saying, Do not grieve. The reason being is this. Mourning and weeping doesn't give you strength. Joy gives you strength. Now we see it in here. Mourn with those who mourn. We see there's an appropriate time to mourn and to weep. But those are meant to be temporary If you've ever cried about something you've been broken about or sad about, if you ever mourned the passing of someone that was close to you, if you do that appropriately, there's a short season in which you do that, and it actually cleanses your soul of brokenness. It's a way of crying out to God and saying, 
I'm broken. I'm sad. I miss them or I miss that. You know, and, and it's being honest with the Lord. So there is a grieving. There is a mourning that's appropriate. But again, that is in due season. That should all flow right back into joy. If we have joy before a tragedy hits, we'll enter into that season of mourning and we'll come out still with the joy of the Lord. It's good to realize that you were created for joy. Your body, your physical body was not created to hold on to sorrow and weeping and mourning over long periods of time. It drains you and zaps you of energy. But people who walk in joy, they walk in strength. I want you to see that word strength here. It means stronghold and it means fortress. So when we think of strength, a lot of times we'll think of, you know, like muscles and strength. This word that he's talking about, that the joy of the Lord is your strength. It actually means stronghold or fortress. Now I need you to catch this. The wall was just completed. What was that wall? It was a stronghold and it was their fortress. So Nehemiah is standing inside this wall. Ezra is declaring the word of the Lord and he's saying, folks, the joy of, your Lord, of the Lord is this to you personally. We have natural protection. We have natural strength. We have a natural stronghold. We have a natural fortress. But the joy of the Lord gives that to you as a person from within. So just as you feel protected and you feel confident and you feel safe with this natural wall, you should feel that same thing in your spirit, man, because the joy of the Lord is your stronghold. The joy of the Lord is your fortress. That is good. Could you imagine looking around at this massive wall, saying, look at what we have in the natural? And Nehemiah says, no, hold on now. Hold on. If you have joy, you can have this in your spirit. You can walk in this every single day. It's the will of the Lord to walk in this. So how, what else does he instruct them to do? To enjoy choice foods and sweet drinks. But I like what he says here. It says, and to send some to those who have nothing prepared. See, it was a Jewish tradition to share with those who had nothing. For those who were unable to prepare the choice foods because they actually didn't have choice foods, what they were doing is they were inviting those who did not have the food, who did not have the necessary ingredients for the celebration. Their tradition was is to invite them into that celebration. I love that picture because it's an invitation to us once again to never posture ourselves where we're rejoicing and we're celebrating and there's someone on the outside that's just desperate for the Lord, desperate for a smile, desperate for a good belly laugh. They're walking in depression and sadness, anxiety. They're miserable and we're over here jumping up and down inside these walls but when we go back out, we might act more like them than we act like in here. Instead of saying, you know what? I'm inviting you into my celebration. I have some choice foods that will change your life. You're invited to come into the party. And if they're not walking in these walls, then go find them and invite them into your life. Does this make sense? They're saying, as you celebrate, go find people who have nothing and share what you have. It's a beautiful picture that joy is not just for us. It's to be spread for those who don't have it. Now, before this wall was ever rebuilt in Jerusalem, 
The exiles were leaving captivity. They were headed back to Jerusalem. It is believed by some scholars that Psalm 126 was written to celebrate their freedom. It's a psalm of ascent. So as they were marching up, as they were walking toward Jerusalem, they'd be singing and declaring this psalm. Now, when Nehemiah's talking about having joy, they would have already have known this psalm. Many of them may have already have sung it as they're approaching the city before the wall was ever built. Now the wall's built. But I want you to look at what they were experiencing going back to the land that God called them to. It says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Now look at these verses. How did the other nations know that God had done great things for them? Was it increased church attendance? Was it increased giving? Was it because they had all their spiritual disciplines in order? How did the other nations know that something was different, that God did something significant among them? They saw a bunch of people going to a land laughing and singing and shouting with joy. We've talked about this in the previous weeks, that I believe it's the Lord's will to have an overflowing joy in every believer's life, that people who don't know Jesus see it on you. They see you laughing at appropriate times. They see you filled with joy, filled with a real authentic smile and ask, what is different with you? What is different about your life that you can walk in this? And again, it could be a sign and a wonder that points straight back to Jesus. And you give him all the glory for the smile that you have on your face. I do. I think it's crazy when you think about it that crying in a church setting is considered spiritual, but a lot of laughing in a church setting is considered excess. And that just made everybody uncomfortable. Well, 30% before. <laughs> Did you ever think of that though? If there, were, if there were 200 people that would come forward weeping to the Lord, we'd say, God fell. If there were 200 people up here laughing, belly laughing in joy of the Lord, you would say, that just got weird. <laughs> the, only, the only reason why, the only thing that I could think of is because the devil doesn't want us to laugh. The devil doesn't want that overflowing joy to come out of us. So he'd rather just keep us here in our tears and then we'll just cry next week and we'll cry next week and then we'll think that that's normal. Instead of coming and crying out to him to get that out, to show your, your sorrow, to show your repentance and then walk in joy. Give, give other people something to laugh about. So I like, I mean, I, I miss it even as my kids get older. It's a little bit more awkward to just lay them down and tickle them. But like, that was one of the funnest times with the kids growing up, right? Just belly laughing and having fun. Just the innocence of laughing. So we'll take a commercial break right now. We'll laugh a little bit. The innocence of laughing. And then I'll close up.
get hiccups. You let up. Oh, I think you got hiccups. Okay. Proverbs 17 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Laughter is medicine for your soul. If you look at the health benefits, medical studies actually show there's a physical benefit for laughing. Laughter relaxes your whole body. It says, after a good hearty laugh, relieves physical tension and stress, leaving your muscles relaxed for up to 45 minutes later. You're stressed out? Maybe you just need a good laugh. Laughter tones your abs. Here we go. It says when you're laughing, the muscles in your stomach expand and contract, similar to when you're intentionally exercising your abs. <laughs> laughing boosts your immune system. Laughter decreases stress hormones and increases immune cells and infection-fighting antibodies. So laughing helps fight disease. Laughter triggers the release of endorphins, which are the body's natural feel-good chemicals. Endorphins promote an overall sense of well-being and can even temporarily relieve pain. Laughter protects the heart. It improves the function of blood vessels and increases blood flow, which can help protect you against a heart attack and other cardiovascular problems. Laughter lightens anger's heavy load, right? Looking at the funny side can put conflict at the side. Find the person you are most mad at and just go laugh with them. Find something to laugh about. <laughs> Laughter can even help you live longer. A study in Norway found that people with a strong sense of humor outlive those who don't laugh as much. The difference was particularly notable for those battling cancer. So this joy is actually a real thing. It does not take for granted that you face difficulty and hard times and even tragedy, right? So there's a hurricane that hit. People lost their lives, right? If you notice, Jesus had joy before he got to the cross. So that's why it's important. We don't know what life is throwing at us, but I want that fortress inside of me. I want that stronghold inside of us as a church so that we can have joy. And as things hit and hit and hit, we will not be shaken. Amen. Last word I want to talk about just for two or three minutes is the word hope. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, he's the only one that can give you hope because he's the author of hope, Okay. But if you look at these verses, joy and peace are actually the anchor of hope. 
They're the root system of hope. So if you look at the process that God lays out, he doesn't just say, I'm giving you hope. He's saying you can have joy and peace as you trust in him. So what's that word trust means? It's a full confidence and full faith that God is who he said he is, who he said he is and that God's word is true and that will absolutely, every promise God has spoken will come true. If you saw somebody with trust today, it's Mrs. Fisher, completely trusting in the word of the Lord. In fact, if I could share a secret, best year ever, strong word spoken within what? Three or four hours of the first day of school, sewer system backs up, stench beyond belief. They have to shut down those bathrooms, right? Every word's gonna be tested. Now, if Kate, if Kate didn't believe the word of the Lord, she'd say, she'd say, oh, what? This is supposed to be the best year ever, right? And sarcasm takes you right out of belief, takes you right out of agreement. But she had the joy. She already had the hope because the joy was the anchor to that. So no, no sewer system problem. No, nothing's gonna stop that now. The trust is there. So you're, you're trusting that what God has said is absolutely going to happen. And it's the result of that trust is actually joy and peace. Now, once you have that joy and that peace, God, Paul's saying it, you will now overflow with hope. Have you ever seen somebody that is filled with hope? What's hope? It's the, the, the positive expectation of a good future, basically, right? You, you know that things are getting better and better and better. As people are saying, oh, you know, this hurricane is the judgment of God and this and that, we just run toward the problem and we help with the solution. So we have hope in a better future. Have you ever seen somebody overflowing with hope that wasn't filled with joy? Right, have you ever seen somebody miserable and somber and angry that's hope-filled? No, because joy and peace, the ability to be sustained through a storm, that, those are the anchors to hope. It's when a really bad day happens, you have joy and peace anchoring you to give you hope. It's when everybody else is saying, bad things are coming, and God says, no, I'm coming. There's the anchor of joy and peace that give you overflowing hope. Now, how does this hope come? It says, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we talked about this last week. How do you get joy? Where do you go? To the Holy Spirit. How do you access the Holy Spirit? In God's presence. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, this isn't meant to be a complicated formula, guys. Right? God doesn't need you to sit down with your calculator and figure this all out. And all the students said, amen. <laughs> the same place where you get joy is the same place where you will get your root system for your hope. It's in the presence of God. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's resting in him enough quietly or rejoicing him in enough in a loud way. Whatever works for you is to realize, even in Ephesians chapter five, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that is an ongoing infilling of the Holy Spirit. Just like this morning, August, what is it, 26, 27? You can't say, why well, choose joy and then wake up tomorrow and not think about it. Paul's saying, be filled, be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. That happens by being continuously in his presence. And as you're in his presence, there is fullness of joy and there's also peace. And as you have joy and peace, you start to overflow with hope. 
And then we're not going to have to think about, oh, I don't want to be anxious anymore. I don't want to worry about this anymore. Well, what's going to happen to me tomorrow? Well, what if I get fired? Well, what if this doesn't work out on my test? Well, what if my teacher says this? You know, those things will start peeling off of your life as you're simply filled with joy, filled with peace, walking in hope. Because now you're waking up looking for the good things to happen. Not, oh, great, this is supposed to be the best year ever and our sewer system backed up. No, not this year. No sewer system, no devil, no nothing is going to tell you what's going to happen. You will be filled with the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Why don't we stand at this time? I just want to be able to pray over you about hope. But before we do that, I do want to give uh, an opportunity for anyone who does not yet know Jesus as Lord and Savior to give their life to Jesus for the very first time. Maybe you don't even know what that entails. Maybe you don't know what that means. Basically, what you're saying is this. I'm done with my old way of life. I'm done with my old sinful nature. I'm done with my old selfish ways. I want to just begin to follow Jesus. It's as simple as that. You, you don't have to know how to do church and how to read the Bible all the right way or how to pray the right way. You just want to say this. I just want to start following Jesus. And it's amazing. It says in Luke 15, verse 7, there is more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Every time a sinner repents and turns to Jesus as Lord and Savior, there is a party in heaven. Now, how many of you know it's probably a little bit more exciting than what we even experience here? Can you imagine the blasts of the trumpets and the angels going crazy and the dancing and the twirling? I mean, this is exciting, folks. There is a party in heaven every time one person says, it's time for me to start following Jesus. So I'm just going to ask you today, if there is anyone in this room that has not made that decision for Jesus, or anyone, maybe you've made it a long time ago, but you know you've walked away, and you could feel it all through your emotions, through your soul, you know it's time to turn back to Jesus. I just want you to raise your hand and just lock your eyes on me. Anyone in this room today who wants to come back to God or give their life to Jesus for the very first time? Anyone at all? right so we have a room full of christians that we're going to trust god to impart the overflowing joy if you don't mind putting your hand on your heart father we trust you now holy spirit to impart an overflowing joy in our hearts father we trust you now to come and rush just a rush of your holy spirit to give us joy to give us laughter to give us hope to give us strength, give us that that wall, that fortress, that stronghold in our heart, God, that we can walk through any storm, through any temptation, through any sadness, through any mourning, and we can come out in joy. Father, we thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We thank you in your presence there's fullness of joy, that you would give us overflowing hope with it. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.